Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. My name is Frank and I'm one of the three pastors here. And if you want to join me this morning, if you want to open to Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at two separate passages, Acts chapter 15 and Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Hopefully my voice will stick with us through this. I want to encourage you, or at least remind you, it's not puberty. So I'm a little beyond that in my 50s. But Acts chapter 15, as we read this, reads this way. Verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. I don't know if you agree with this, but in the realm of relationships, no matter what age you are or what season of life you're in, conflict is inevitable. Even if you're in junior high or in high school or heading off to college, you realize you've had conflict in all those years of school. If you're single, you have had probably conflict with family members, whether it's your parents or siblings. If you're married, you know the reality of conflict. If you have children, you know the reality of conflict. So just about every relationship, even our relationship with God, involves conflict. And what I mean by that is if you're like me in some way, shape, or form, you probably argue with God about things, right? He may ask you to do something, and your response is, I don't think that works. Uh, or I don't want to do that, or that's a little bit too difficult for me. And even if you're more honest, you probably even disagree with yourself, right? Am I the only person here that argues with themselves on a daily basis? Do this, don't do that. Why did you do that? That was so dumb. I can't believe you did that. Of course, it's really bad when you respond and say, who are you to judge, right? So if you have that kind of conversation, talk to me afterwards. But in the realms of relationship, right? Conflict is inevitable. And even for those of us who really want to follow God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, conflict is still inevitable in the midst of all of this stuff. You've heard of church splits, obviously. You've heard of people leaving churches, ministries, and all of those things because of some conflict or a difference of philosophy or a way of doing things. And so what I want to look at today is to really help us see as a church and a church family that conflict is inevitable. It doesn't have to be malicious, and there are ways that together we can work through this. Now, when we're looking here at Acts chapter 15, the context is pretty simple. Barnabas and Paul had gone on a missionary journey years before, and they had planted churches. And it was a pretty good missions trip. A lot of good things happened on that trip. And in the midst of that, they were preaching a gospel that certain people in Jerusalem said, yeah, it's a little shady. I think you need to become Jewish before you can become Christian. It's just a general idea. 
And Paul and Barnabas were like, no, that's not at all. You don't need to become Jewish. You just need to follow Christ. So the council got together and they said, you know what? What we think is what Paul and Barnabas are thinking. So they've had this really good spiritual victory. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Sometimes when you have a really good spiritual victory, it seems inevitable the conflict is going to come, right? You have a great quiet time in the morning and you're like, man, I am so ready to go forward with God today. This is fantastic. And you get out of your room and then you get into an argument with your kids or your spouse or even your dog because your dog was there and you tripped over him. But either way, that spiritual victory doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to have conflict. There was conflict here in the church. And and I don't know the, the Pharisees or the leaders who are trying to push that you needed to be Jewish. But my imagination thinks that they probably weren't malicious. They were just wanting to do what God ultimately, they thought, wanted them to do. They were trying to follow after Christ as best as they could. But that's where the story picks up in verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, and the idea here is the Jerusalem council may have happened sometime in the fall. And then, obviously, in those days, you're not really going to travel in the fall if you're going to try and take a ship because the winter weather's not good to travel in. But when the spring came... God's stirring Paul says, hey, you know what? You should go back and check out the churches that you planted. See how everything is going. And so he turns to Barnabas and he says, hey, let's go check it out. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Both of these men are really wanting to follow God. They have a heart for missions. They have a heart for people. They have a heart for the lost. And they're on the same page. Both godly men who want to do something for God, what he wants them to do, and they want to go forth and do it. Then something kind of strange happens. As they say this, they're talking about going back to preach. Barnabas, if you know, getting his name as son of encouragement because he's such an encourager, a people person, says, Hey, Paul, I want to take John, called Mark, with us. I really feel that God is leading us to make him a part of our missions team. I really do this. And, and one of the reasons, I think, is that Barnabas is a people person. To him, people first task second. He's not minimizing the task because he wants to go on this trip. He wants to go and he wants to minister to the churches, see more church growth. He's really excited about that. But because to him people are important, he's probably been spending a lot of time with John Mark and they're going through the word of God and they're praying and they're growing. And Barnabas sees something in John Mark and he says, man, this guy is definitely ready to go back onto the mission field. Paul, on the other side, says, no way, man. Don't you remember? The first mission trip we went on, the first city we get to, this guy says, I quit. There's no way we are bringing this guy with us. And the reason I I would say, and again, I hope when I get to heaven, Paul doesn't get mad at me, is because I think Paul was a type A, visionary, task-centered person. Now, I'm not saying Paul was very uncaring. Paul was a very caring person. Paul was the kind of guy who would say, I wish that I were accursed. I wish that I could go to hell so that my brethren, my fellow Israelites, could actually go to heaven and experience Christ. That's a lot of passion. And when he's talking to the Thessalonians, what he says is, I nurtured you like a mom. Like, I really cared for you. So I'm not saying Paul is uncaring. What I am saying is, to him, it seemed like the task was first. Now, which one of those is right? I hope hope you're saying neither one of them. That's the way God wired Barnabas. And that's the way God wired Paul. And it worked well together on the first trip. 
But as they get ready for their second trip, they get into a sharp disagreement. <clears throat> Here's what it says, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. In other words, they were so, I'll say, angry or upset or disappointed with each other that they got to a place where they looked at each other and said, we can't do this together. I'm not moving. I'm a man of conviction. John Mark is going on a missions trip. Paul responds, I'm not moving. He's not going. And I'm going on a missions trip. And I think what they realized, perhaps, in a positive way, I'm hoping, is they said, you know what? Let's just go our separate ways. You go your way, and I will go my way. And what I want us to see this morning is that in the realm of relationships, conflict is inevitable. These two godly men who cared very much for Jesus, who cared very much for the kingdom of God, who cared very much for the spread of the kingdom of God, ended up in conflict. And the conflict was so bad that they basically said, we're done. We're done here. You go your way, I'll go my way. Now some commentators are saying that they split in anger. I don't know if they did that or not. I think there can be a, some, an amicable way of saying, just okay, listen, this is not going to work, we're going to go. But either way, the disagreement that both of these godly people had, this sharp disagreement, this high-level attention, <clears throat> this high-level tension led them to part ways. And again, it's because they had different perspectives. Different perspectives. Barnabas' perspective, I don't think it's going to help. <laughs> Sorry, thanks. Different perspectives in that one, people is what I'm about, and people are more important than the task. And the other guy said, no, it's the task. Because if you do the task right, the people will come. And in a lot of relationships, that's what the real issue is, right? We have different perspectives. For instance, when, when we first got married, we had different perspectives on how to do the dishes. Okay, it's a very trivial matter, and I understand that. But how many of you do the uh, Korean fill-up-the-one-sink thing? I mean, not the crazy, but you just, you run the water and you wash it as you're going along. How many of you do that? Okay, come on. Somebody has to do that. Really? Because when I grew up, the way we did it was you filled one sink up with water, put the dishes in, and everything was cool. Okay, see? Already a difference in perspective. When my wife's running the water like that, and I'm looking, I go, my goodness. I mean, we, don't, we didn't pay the water bill back then, but I was thinking, why are you doing that? You're wasting water. These poor fish in Lake Michigan. Or the thirsty kids in Africa, you know, like the parents do on you. And this, uh, running the water and the soap is all over the place. And it's so much easier if you just fill it up that way. It's a different perspective. That's not a hill to die on. But it's a conflict because there's a different perspective. And a lot of times we just see things differently. So even at church and staff meetings, we have tension and conflict sometimes because we have a different perspective. And we come together and realize this is where we're working from. We have this different perspective. This is the way God has wired us. That's okay. And we get to a place of compromise. And I think that's what these two guys did. I don't think they parted in anger like, I hate you. I can't believe all your focus is on people and you're forgetting the task. Or I hate you because you're focused on the task and not people. I think they said, listen, it's time for us to part our ways and we're going to do the same thing. And this might be the way God wants to do it. But they still had that inevitable disagreement. And so perspective is really important. 
because that's what actually split the relationship. Now, who knows in alternate history what would have happened if Barnabas and Paul had stayed together. I have no idea. It's not worth speculating about. And in the end, I've actually preached that Barnabas was right. And the reason I did that is because at the end of his life, Paul says, bring to me John Mark. John Mark, the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Why does Paul want him? Because he's become useful to me. And I used to say, you know what? It's probably because Paul realized that he was wrong. And last night as I was realizing it, maybe what happened was, not that Paul realized that he was wrong, because he might very well have been right. Don't bring him. But what I realized is that in the midst of all of this, the different perspective that by the end of his life, when it was seen that Barnabas, I mean, Mark could actually be that type of person who followed Christ, who could be trusted, Paul said he's become useful. But that's a season of life. So I want us to get first and foremost of all, in the realm of human relationships, conflict is inevitable. We conflict with everybody even ourselves, and most importantly, God. So how do we do this, though, in a community? Because we're in the middle of a series on marriage, and a lot of marriages struggle, sometimes short seasons, sometimes long seasons, and there's a lot of difficulties. And the encouragement that we as a staff wanted to bring is that in the midst of community, as we struggle with conflict that is inevitable, that we would actually come together as community and work with each other. So with that in mind, I want us to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> and this is what Solomon writes. Solomon considered to be a very wise man. Not Wallaman, Solomon. I know my son Tim's probably going to say I said Wallaman later. <clears throat> but Solomon says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Here's what Solomon saying. Two is better than one. It's a simple principle. Because with the two working together, you can get a lot more done. So even this morning, um, and with setup when I came <clears throat> already, uh, Jolie and Matthew Cho have most of the stuff already done. If one of them had to do it by themselves, we might still be waiting here for them to finish, right? But because they got together, they worked together for a common purpose, they were able to finish it in like 20 minutes, which is very fast. In fact, I don't even know if you can put up this screen by yourself. Anyone who sets up the screen, could you do this by yourself? You can't do it by yourself. So we wouldn't even have a screen if one person did it by themselves. Solomon's principle is when you get two people together, you're going to get a good return for your labor, which is really cool because whenever you do something together, you get things done faster. In our house, when we try to clean up or straighten up, I like to invite everyone into the process. And my kids love that. Whatever they're doing, they're like, Dad, I am so glad that you counted me worthy to help straighten up the mess that I've made. Thank you. I could do it myself. Quite honestly, I could probably do it better sometimes than the little girls do. But the point is when we do it together, it gets done a lot faster. And what is really helpful is a little bribe, which is called this. 
if you want to go outside and you want me to play with you, you've got to help me. Otherwise, we'll just stay in here and you can do whatever. Two working together gets a lot more done a lot faster. So Solomon's saying that's a really good thing. In a community, when the community comes together and we work together for a common purpose, it's going to be fruitful. But he goes on, he says this. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And here's what the commentator said, because I didn't live back then. But the idea was that as you walked along a road or traveled along a road, there were some roads as you walked along, if you fell off, you could kind of roll off into a sort of little small ravine or whatever. And because you're down there, nobody really looks. I mean, it's, when you're driving down the highway, I know you look at the signs, but how many of us are really looking in the ditches, right? But imagine as you're walking along, nobody looks down there. And so what Solomon is saying is this, if you're walking along the path by yourself and you fall in and nobody notices, you've got some problems. And the way here, I think it was this morning when I was picking up my son, Tim, they were talking about some guy that had been in an accident um, on the highway for three days. He was stuck in his car, and he got rescued because some people were taking pictures. Pulled up alongside the road, and they took pictures, and they go, hey, there's a car down there. Let's go down there, check it out, and the guy's in there. So pity that man if they didn't stop, right? If he was with someone else, someone else was driving behind him, and they see him go over, then what do they do? They stop or they call 911. Hey, this guy fell down. Or they go down there and try to help him out. So what Solomon is saying is, listen, if you're by yourself and you get into trouble, pity. Because there's no one to help you. I mean, if you're stuck, you're stuck. And you're going to be in trouble and it's only going to get worse. But he says, man, is it really cool when somebody is there to actually pick you up? It's really cool to be in a community because when you're in a community and you fall down and someone comes along beside you and helps you up and gets you back on the road, that's excellent. You may still have the bumps, the screws, uh, screws, I don't know what a screws is. Scars. There you go. <laughs> I have no idea where that word came from. Say it right. Bumps. <laughs> bruises. That's what I wanted to say. Got it. All right. Bumps and bruises. I could not think of it. Sorry about that brain fart. Bumps and bruises. You may even have the scars. Okay, that's where it came from. Bruises and scars. I put it together now. <laughs> A new word, okay? So if you have these screws <laughs> and you have community that comes alongside of you, you still have the community that helps you out. Does that make sense? It makes, it's simple. We go, oh my, wow, that's so profound. Well, yeah, it is, but we all know this. We all understand that when we're working together, that's a really good thing. And it's really beneficial for the community. We also understand that when we're by ourselves, it's not a good thing because when we do fall down and there's no one there to help us up, we're in trouble. We're in real trouble. We're in bad trouble. That's why as a church, as we work together, we don't want to see people leave in the midst of their hurt. We want to see them stay so that we can help them. Because leaving does not help. It can actually hurt you more. Coming around people who will support you and love you and staying through that. Now, Verse 11 then says this, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And the idea behind this is pretty simple. I know you're all thinking, what do you mean I have an electric blanket at home? Okay, true, but Solomon didn't have electric blankets back then. His point was that it can be very cold as it was in winters. And they didn't have the nice windows that we have and all the insulation that we have. I don't know how many of you have homes that don't have insulation. Anyone here other than my family have a house that doesn't have insulation in their walls? Anyone? 
I'm the only one, okay? It's cold. And when we redid our kitchen last summer, I tell you, when they put insulation in the walls in the kitchen, when winter hit with the new door, there were no drafts. You know, we used you'd sit in the kitchen and you'd feel a little draft in the middle of winter, and you're thinking to yourself, man, that's crazy. The walls are there. There's bricks. There's the uh, drywall. How can you feel these drafts? But you could feel them. And when you open up a certain cabinet because it went outside, you could feel that. When this guy came and redid the whole thing, there was warmth. I mean, you could feel the warmth, especially when you close the door. And so what Solomon is saying is, listen, in my day, we didn't have that stuff. <clears throat> so if you're alone and it's cold, man, you are cold. But to have another person there with you is to keep you warm. In the midst of those trials, in the midst of those struggles, another person there with you keeps you warm. But he goes even further. He says this. <clears throat> Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. <clears throat> A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. <clears throat> Here's what he's saying. Listen. Two people together. That's good. But three people is even better. I look at it this way. If I got into a fight with my son, Tim and Dan, it's good that there's two of them against me. I would still win. <clears throat> they would need a third person to help them. Maybe Kevin Eberhardt might help them a little bit. The idea behind that, though, is the more you have, the better. It's not just a matter of three. But the more you have with you, the better. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to break. It doesn't mean that conflict isn't going to happen. It doesn't mean that, that in, the, in the end you might actually be overwhelmed. But what Solomon is saying, the more you have, the more protected, supported, helped, and cared for that you can be. And so what he is saying here, whether you look at it as individuals or in a marriage, that the more help you have in the midst of your conflict, the better you are to be successful and fruitful. If your marriage is stuck and you're in a bad place, it's a good thing to have another couple or even a couple of couples or couples of couples of couples to come alongside of you and support you and help you through that. Anyone here who is married and says that we have not argued, I would be concerned about your relationship. And the reason I would be concerned is that means someone is dominating the conversation always and the other person is just following along. And if you're following God, and I, I would imagine a lot of us here are, even while we follow God, we can still have conflict with our spouse. Now, years ago, <clears throat> back in the 90s, <clears throat> when even some of you guys weren't even born, I went to the uh, Champagne Vineyard, and the pastor's name was Happy Lehman. Isn't that a cool name? Happy. Happy Lehman. But he said one of the most profound things that has stuck with me, and it's this. He said, the problem is not the problem. The problem is how you respond to the problem. And from Acts 15, we learn this. The problem is not conflict. Why? Because conflict is inevitable in the midst of relationships. You cannot have a good growing relationship and you're not going to experience conflict whatsoever. No, that's not going to happen. You're going to have conflict. Perspectives are different. It happens. That's okay. That's a problem. 
It's not something that God says, hey, I want you to have problems. I don't think he wanted Barnabas and Paul to have problems. That's not the better way. I'm not saying that. But what he is saying is they had a problem. What was their response? Well, yeah, they argued. But in the end, I think they came to a compromise which said, you go your way and I'll go my way. And we're going to do twice the work that God had originally attended. Does that make sense? And so in the midst of marriage, when we are in the midst of conflict and we're struggling and we have people come alongside of us and say, hey, wait a minute. Let us help you get through this is what I think is the better way that God wants for people in the midst of conflict within the midst of their marriage. Now that's difficult, isn't it? Because it is opening ourselves up to people with the hopes that they don't judge us, but they actually come alongside of us and want to help us through what is best. And so for me, there's, there's several ministries, at least for me in the future that I hope to be a part of in some way, have a vision for, is something like a Stefan Ministries, which we have. And trust me, we're working through that. The paperwork is incredibly long. There's a lot of stuff that needs to get done. But also, I would hope one day to have some sort of marriage ministry at Harvest here called A Court of Three Strands. It's not something original with me because Solomon wrote it thousands of years ago. But that court of three strands is when there are counselors and couples who say, listen, our primary ministry is to walk side, walk alongside of you <clears throat> in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your hurts, and in the midst of your pain. We will be with you. We will be there. So in my premarital counseling, when I do it, every couple, right, Phil? What do I say? Find an older couple who will walk with you. Right, Hannah? Why? And I'm not saying that you guys are having troubles, by the way. So don't everyone be looking at them going, (laughs) Phil and Hannah are having troubles. No. In our premarital counseling, I told them, because listen, your first year of marriage, you're learning a lot of stuff about each other you didn't know. Right? Amen to that? Because you're like, well, you do that. I never knew you'd do that. Where'd that come from? Wow, you're strange. Did I marry the right person? That kind of stuff. It's the first year. You need somebody who's been maybe 10 years in marriage that says, hey, you know what? We went through that. Some of the stuff that you're experiencing, we went through that. It's normal. It's how you respond to it that you want to work with. Someone who's 10 years or 20 years. So it eventually what I'm trying to get us to see is that what happened with Paul and Barnabas was not a good thing, but it wasn't a malicious thing. And in the midst of that sharp disagreement, their response was to still follow God, even in the midst of their godliness, and in following God, do what God had called them to do. And I'm combining that with this Ecclesiastes 4 passage and saying, listen, in the midst of conflict when you're married or not married, whether it's at work or it's at school or it's with your parents or with your children, either way to have people come alongside you and say, we'll walk with you in the midst of this and help you out. Because my firm conviction is that God really wants marriage to be one. And in the midst of that, when we do have these struggles, what we really, really have to have is someone come alongside us. Not to tell us, hey, you're wrong, and leave it there, but to say, here's another perspective. I've seen when I've sat down with married couple, uh, pre-married couples, one couple came to me and they said, man, we argue constantly. And what I do in premarital counseling, I've done different. I do what uh, Pastor Dave gave us years ago, something called fry a fish. And in the midst of frying the fish, what people do is they share, hey, listen, this is what my perspective is. And when you speak your perspective out loud and you say, this is what I'm really thinking, you go, wow, that's really what I'm thinking. And I wish I could say that I was the one who changed 
their marriage. But the reality is, all I did was act as a referee, and they changed. God working in them, realizing, hearing their own words said to each other, their own thoughts, their own perspectives shown in a different light. They were able to get to a place where they could say, listen, now we understand how in the midst of conflict we can actually work together. I honestly don't think they would have ever gotten there if they'd gone somewhere else or even to just a justice of a peace. I'm not saying I'm a great counselor because I'll be honest with you, I really didn't do much. They did all the work. But what we learn in marriage, as great as it can be, and so many times there are such wonderful highs in the midst of marriage. Even when I think of... Even when I think of my marriage, I think sometimes of the the wonderful things that you go, wow, this is so great. It's almost like being in heaven. And sometimes we have conflict. And in the midst of that conflict, we have to work together through it. But how much greater or how much faster or how much better it is in the midst of that conflict when someone comes alongside you and says, we're here. How can we figure this out? How can we get you to the next place? So here's what I want to leave you with. In the realm of relationships, conflict is inevitable. Whether you're a little four-year-old and have a hard time sharing your toys, or whether in your over 50s and you've been married for 25, 35, whatever amount of years, conflict still happens. That's not the problem. The problem is how you will respond. <clears throat> and I think that Scripture teaches that as a church family, <clears throat> I'm about to lose my voice here. As a church family, yes, I'm sorry, Karen, it's not going to work. <laughs> I tried anyway. Okay, all right. So is this where I'm falling in the pit and you come by and help me? As a church family, our need is to actually be with each other in the midst of church conflict. So what I want us to do is to bow our heads, close our eyes. And I actually want us to pray for marriages. As part of the sermon today, I want us to actually pray for marriages. Because we've been talking about getting help, and we've been talking about being family, and we've been talking about a lot of things. But I want to take about five minutes and get to a place of response. And the first thing that I want us to do is I want us to pray for all the healthy marriages at Harvest. And I want us to pray God bless those marriages over and over again and abundantly, and may they continue to grow in the midst of their health. Let's be thankful for that. But then I want you to ask God for one thing, to place in the hearts of those people who have healthy marriages to actually become the kind of people who will be walking down the road, who will look into the pit, see those who have fallen in, who will then get into that pit and help pull them out. Let's just pray for about a minute or so just for those healthy marriages. Thankfulness and just a request. In our church, there's another type of marriage, and that's a marriage that's stuck in the status quo. You may not be experiencing the highs, and you're definitely not experiencing the lows. I I would wonder if that place you're at a crossroads to a future of either numbness or a future of despair. But I would hope that you would take a path to intimacy. 
So let's pray for those marriages that are in the midst of that status quo. And let's ask God to stir in those couples a desire to grow, not just in their relationship with God, but with each other. It takes them out of their status quo and brings them to a place of health. Let's take a few minutes to pray for that. That's the marriage that right now you're struggling. You're in the midst of the mess. Perspectives aren't meshing at all. <clears throat> Let's pray for those marriages. Not just for healing, not just for wholeness, but for a willingness to get and receive help. And I know a lot of times we think that conflict can be a bad thing. But I can also remember the first church that I went to and actually left because of conflict. That conflict made me a better person and a better pastor. I don't think it was the best way. I don't think it was God's way to do that, the way it happened. And God can use those things, even conflict like he did here in Acts 15. But I think that God's way is to see people, all people, all people, those in conflict and those not in conflict, to come together in family, in Christ. So let's pray for those marriages that are a mess and just ask God, do a work, do a miracle. Do something bigger than us. Do it now. Let's just take a few moments for that and then I'll close us. Father, you know our hearts, you know our circumstances, you know our lives, you know where we're at. Some of us may be in deep conflict. We pray for the power of your spirit to bring relief, to bring release. Father, we ask that we might be your instruments, your vessels of reconciliation, not only to a lost world, but to those in the midst of broken relationships, whether it's a broken relationship in their marriage, a broken relationship with their parents or with their children, with their siblings, co-workers, wherever that broken relationship is, even long-lost friendships. We pray today that the gospel of peace, that the Prince of Peace, Jesus, comes and manifests himself and says the greater good, the greater glory is when people come together and they get reconciled and they get restored and they get rebuilt. And that's our prayer this day, Father, as we recognize that even the godly struggle in the midst of conflict. 
But your call is not to let the problem overwhelm us, but to respond with mercy, to respond with grace, and to respond seeking peace with everything that was in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.